0: And welcome to Living Our Beliefs, a home for open conversations with fellow Christians, Jews, and Muslims. Through personal stories and reflection, we will explore how our religious traditions show up in daily life, at work, at home, in the community, in good times, and in bad. There is no one-size-fits-all right answer, just a way to move forward for you, for here, for now. I am your host, Maylee Solomon. So glad you could join us. This is episode 21 and was recorded on the 23rd of August, 2022. My guest today is Emmy Furman. Emmy is a graduate student at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., working towards a Master of International Affairs with a focus on Latin American studies and development economics. As a former teacher, Emmy understands the importance of leading by example and as a result, aspires to continue growing as a leader and complete an MBA. Emmy is a Miami native who was raised by hard-working immigrant parents from the Dominican Republic. He has lived in various American cities and Rabat, Morocco. He currently resides in Silver Spring, Maryland, with his wife Lauren. Links to his social media handles are listed in the show notes. Hello, Emmy. Welcome to my Living Our Beliefs podcast. It is so wonderful to have you on.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Maylee. It's a pleasure to be on with you.
0: I'd like to begin with my standard first question, which is, what is your religious and cultural identity?
1: That is a difficult question for me to answer. Um, But I guess in the simplest form, my religious and cultural identity is that I am a Muslim. I guess I would say I'm also a universalist who was raised in a Roman Catholic household. And I've also unknowingly maybe accepted Buddhist principles within my life. So in that sense, it's very complex. But I guess that in a way that would be the best way for me to describe my religious background, and I guess culturally speaking, what do you what do you mean by that?
0: Well, for many people, it's about race.
1: Ah, okay, <laughs> that's that's also uh, a bit difficult for me as well, because growing up, I, I grew up in you know a household of Dominican immigrants, and from a racial background. You're European, you're African, you're indigenous, but there's probably more to it than that. I had a cousin and myself go on Ancestry.com. She was from my mom's side of the family, and we were really comparing and contrasting uh, our results, but it turns out my background wasn't it wasn't limited to places I thought it would be limited to. It included an Ashkenazi Judaic background in addition to having North African ancestry, so really you embody a lot of different ethnicities that you may not know so i guess culturally speaking i'm dominican but you know race i it's complicated i i guess in america i'm black because that's ultimately you know the group i identify with best even growing up i grew up in um latin american enclave so everyone was from the same background as myself but even within that enclave I was still seen as a, a black individual. Even on uh, February, people would believe that that was more related to my background, which in a way it wasn't any more related to what my background is than October, right? Black History Month versus Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, it was all the same, but oftentimes other students who I grew up with were like, oh yeah, that's that's the black kid in our class. But I spoke Spanish. I grew up speaking Spanish. That was my first language. And my parents told me we were were not black. We were more than that.
0: Wow. That is a big answer, clearly and necessarily big answer. So thank you for saying all that. And thank you for being willing to be honest with me and, and the audience about the complexity of who you are. I value that, and I think it really is important, richness. So let's dig into parts of that a little more. I just want to clarify in terms of your upbringing, where were you born?
1: I was born um, in Coral Gables, Florida, so that's, it's still Miami, it's like a separate city within the city of Miami. Okay.
0: Okay. So you were born in the U.S. Your parents are immigrants from the Dominican Republic? Correct. Okay. I'd like to turn to the religious aspect of your identity. You mentioned that you were raised as a Roman Catholic, and now you're a Muslim with some aspects of Buddhism and universalism. So I'd like to unpack that a bit. First, just to understand the timeline, when did you convert from Roman Catholicism and did you go directly to Islam or was there a stop in between?
1: So yes, I was born in a family that you could say identified as Roman Catholic. My dad came from that background. My mother's mother came from that background. However, my mother has never identified, and I don't think she'll ever identify within any um, Christian sect, I guess. She just says she's a a strong and proud Christian woman. But my dad was the one who was Roman Catholic, and for that reason, my mom, being someone who was malleable within her Christianity, could kind of go anywhere. She said, sure, we'll raise the kids in the Roman Catholic Church and that's how we were raised. Um, we did the first communion and, and everything like that, and were baptized me and my sister. However, I think after the first communion, we kind of stopped there and it wasn't really like the choice was yours kind of thing that my parents did, but it was more so. Uh, well, you follow your own path and and believe what you want to believe, and you know we can go to church and we will go to church from time to time, but it's not going to be every Sunday. And as we got older and we kind of got more away from going to church and I started learning more about other belief systems, I kind of stopped believing Catholicism and I kind of started like unpacking Catholicism and the history of it and, you know, a lot of the forms of corruption and, you know, crazy things that happen within the Catholic Church and still happen today. And I thought it was very weird, but I, I kind of ascribed all of the negativities of it toward all of Christianity, not just Catholicism. And for a time, I guess you can say I was agnostic because I felt that there was a God or there was a a greater power in the universe, but I didn't really follow any particular religion. I was really just trying to learn more about not just Islam and Judaism, but even Christianity as well. There was so much that I didn't know and I didn't understand when I was a Christian and I didn't cherish either. So as I got older and as I learned more, I I kind of leaned into Islam in a way. While I was studying at BU, um, I was about 19 years old. I befriended a few other students um, in the school who were Muslim, and I um, had learned Arabic. I had learned about you know, Islam. Just in general, I learned about Buddhism. Um, I learned about Judaism and Hinduism and Jainism um, and Sikhism. Of all the isms that I learned about, I was like, "Oh, this this one kind of makes sense." I I think in a way, I'm a Muslim. I'm meant to be Muslim, and I I consider myself not a convert but a revert. Um, and that's that's how a lot of Muslim converts kind of see themselves. But even some people who are born Muslim um, say kind of the same thing. They say, "Well, we you know you still have to learn. You still have to." Uh, be a Muslim or become what it is that you say you are in terms of the religion.
0: I appreciate especially this, I'm meant to be Muslim, and this term to revert. Very interesting. I have heard something similar from other people who have converted. The other thing about that is when you then said that within Islam you need to actively Take it on, even if you were raised within it. It's quite similar to what some Christians have said to me. Those who are evangelical or born again say, you have been born physically, but now you are being born again spiritually. The other thing that it's similar to is I have heard that from Jehovah's Witnesses who I've interviewed for for the Talking With God Project research, they said that even if you're raised within a Jehovah's Witness family, you need to actively choose to become a member of the church. Actually, the Mormons do the same thing. I I find this a really interesting through line across the religions.
1: I I agree. I I think that's very interesting and very true for every religion, but even the lack of religion, even for atheists. And I I think that's part of what also makes us unique. It's that we're all meant to be something, but we're all finding out what that something is. And it, it doesn't just stop at your faith. It includes your spirituality, but also how you interact with the world, I believe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to ask one more question about the connection between your upbringing and your adulthood, which is about language. Spanish was your first language. You're clearly fluent in English. You said you have learned Arabic, which I understand to be a very challenging language to take on. I'm interested in how language affects your sense of religious and cultural identity, especially the, the religious identity.
1: Absolutely. I also want to go back and clarify, uh, I don't speak Arabic fluently. Only English and Spanish are fluent. But in terms of how language affects my religion, it's interesting because Spanish being my first language and I have the, the memories of going to church and the service always being in Spanish and from time to time we went to the English service as well but more often than not um, we were in the Spanish services. In a way the the language was also connected to the religion. I remember going to my grandmother's house uh, as a kid and she would give me a prayer book or something and it all be in Spanish and then she'd be like no you have to learn Spanish you you have to learn how to read in this language because there's no way that I'm gonna have a grandchild that doesn't know Spanish. Although it was my first language, even with Spanish, you, like religion, you have to practice at it constantly. Although you know, I spoke it fluently, once I started school in Miami, Florida in the United States, I didn't want to speak Spanish anymore. Me and my friends only wanted to speak English with each other. It was a challenge for, for my family to kind of force me to speak the language, but that's something that my grandmother did um, that actually helped me read and work on my writing and my pronunciation with words in Spanish when, you know, I was in elementary school and middle school and I was forgetting the language. In a way, the language was tied to my religious identity and my culture, and I never, never abandoned it, you know, once I, I understood the value of it. And I really understood the value of it when I went to Boston and studied at Boston University, I realized, wow, there's not only just value in, in knowing the language um, and in what my family taught me, but also the fact that the prayers I had to say were in Spanish, in a way, was kind of poetic. That's one thing that I feel as though I didn't always get with my Spanish education in school because I, I did go to an immersion school up until fifth grade, was that in our Spanish classes, it was always grammar, but it was never really literature literature was like a minimal component of what we did. Teachers really focused more so on proper grammar and and properly speaking, um, but that had nothing to do with our culture. Speaking uh, the language properly was not at all tied to your individual culture as a Dominican or as a Cuban or as a Puerto Rican or wherever it is that you come from. Same thing for for the Arabic language as well. You have the different dialects for different regions. um, And I I understood that once I started learning and studying Arabic, um, and that's also what kind of drew me closer to Islam was the fact that I took classes in Arabic to better understand what the news uh, was telling me. Part of the reason that I was so interested in Islam was the fact that so many people believe that you know Islam is, is terrorism, and even you know my own family members uh, believe that, so that's kind of what I was raised to believe. In a way, I never fully bought it. You know, when I learned it was the fastest-growing religion, I was like, okay, there's no way that that's what it's all about. There's got to be more to it than that. With the language, with learning language and, and understanding words like the ummah being the community and um, jihad, which comes up often in the news, I understood that the meaning of jihad went to struggle and to strive with God, at least in the religious context. And when I understood that and understood that Oh, even Allah, even God, even the creator and the master of the universe struggles. What could the creator of a universe be struggling with? What could be the issue? You know, one thing that always kind of got to me, especially once I had converted, was how can different religious communities know more about each other? And I think part of that struggle was, you know, something that I think exists in probably every belief system, but I'm going to paraphrase the statement within the Qur'an. I made you different so that you may get to know one another. I don't believe that that only exists within Islam. I I think that that's just something human, and that's something that humans uh, innately struggle with. Simply getting to know one another. We're all different. We were all made different. Just as I'm an individual and I'm complex and unique, every other individual that exists is also complex and unique. We all embody our lived experience, and that includes our religion, that includes our culture, and that includes our experience, but we embody that, and that's what we present to the world. Language has affected religion for me because it has allowed me to see an entirely different system of communication and still draw upon similarities while acknowledging the beautiful differences that exist.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and again, thank you for a full answer. I think any time somebody has a really complex background and is thoughtful and self-reflective the way you are, Emmy, The answers are going to be fuller and more complicated, and I embrace that. But in this last bit, you spoke of your upbringing within the Roman Catholic Church and shifting to Islam in college with some pause in between. They're each rich ancient traditions, and what I wonder is, What do you feel experientially and spiritually that you bring from Roman Catholicism into Islam?
1: I think experientially, I bring the background experience of simply being within the iconography every time I worship, simply worshiping in a different way, um, and understanding what it is to worship in a different way, and understanding that In both ways of worshipping, you're still communicating with what you believe is the higher power, or the master of the universe, or the creator of the world, or however you want to put it, Allah, God, Dios, whatever it is, you're speaking to regardless of faith. There's still something there that caused the big bang, and I think experientially what I bring is just myself. I think by by being somebody who was raised in the Catholic Church, it's not something that you can simply push a button and undo. My family's still Catholic. Our our name is still a very Catholic name. You know, I'm not changing my name for anything. I'm who I am. But I, I think that something I still bring with me is a lot of strength, a lot of courage, compassion, kindness, and empathy. You know, a- empathy is huge in Islam but it's also huge in Catholicism and it's also huge in so many other belief systems and it's also a big concept for people who don't believe to be who don't believe themselves to be uh, religious in any way I truly believe that in that sense I have found a way individually again through my own unique experiences to merge two complex belief systems that i i have followed into my own i I still identify as muslim but i think that's that's where the universalist part comes in
0: okay so let's take a moment to talk about these other aspects that you've mentioned the buddhism the agnosticism if that's still present in your life the universalism how do they fit in to your sense of identity, and to your practice?
1: I think they don't fit in at all. I think that's what makes them fit in. I don't think I was meant to be any of those things. I don't think I was supposed to be agnostic. My Catholicism brought guilt. Guilt is a very big thing in the Catholic Church. And I think by simply being agnostic, I felt some sort of guilt that I, I wasn't doing enough to believe in God or be thankful to God for everything that I have. I think that's that's also what kind of made me universalist as well, is I can't say I'm agnostic, but I can say I understand what it is to be agnostic. My wife is Christian. She grew up in, in the Christian tradition, but she was never somebody who was constantly going to church or following any one particular doctrine or anything like that. She was simply living her life and following what her parents were doing. She got older. She made her own choices and her own decisions um, and was just like, I don't need to go to church. I believe in God, but I don't have to follow any particular religion. I can just live my life the way I want to. She's still Christian. She still identifies as that. She still says she is. um, But she also says that she's agnostic too. And I think that in that way... Uh, agnosticism is still in my life, but I'm I'm not, or I wouldn't say fully that I'm agnostic myself because I'm still playing a role or a game within a belief system by simply saying I'm Muslim. You know, I, I keep concepts of Catholicism in the background because it was part of my upbringing and part of my experience um, that makes me unique. And then moving on to universalism, I think what makes me universalist is the fact that I've been able to be all these different things in a way, but um, also understand that as humans, you know, we're going to be confused and we're not always going to understand our tradition or our belief system or other people or really anything we're not meant to understand. I, I guess I'm putting it vaguely, but because we just don't understand certain things, and because, I guess, we confuse ourselves, or sometimes we have doubt within our belief, I understand that that's why people convert, or that's why people become atheists, um, even though they grew up in a religion, or that's why uh, people, you know, stay within their religion. In that way, I'm universalist, and I'm accepting, because I've I've been in different people's shoes, I guess you can say, uh within religion. I, I've still been myself, but I've been a Catholic, and I've been a Muslim, and I haven't been either of those things as well. I think I've unwantingly accepted Buddhism as a philosophy. I, I think this this is going to go back to, to my days as a teacher. When I was teaching religion, because I was a history teacher, so part of teaching history is also teaching religion, because that's part of our, our history as humans. And I found that every time I was teaching Buddhism, kids were very much attracted to those questions, and they'd always ask me, "Hey, are you Buddhist? You seem to like know a lot about this, but also like the Four Noble Truths. Like, how is it that you you kind of understand that so well? And and you're not looking at the screen behind you, but you're answering all their questions? And I'm like, oh, I'm I'm sorry, I don't mean to answer them definitively. I, I had to like pause and say, guys, don't listen to me. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to answer anything definitively. This is just how I understand it, and I'm answering your questions in the way that I understand it." But because of that, uh, I, I feel that I was drawn toward Bu- Buddhism as well, even though maybe I wasn't meant to be. And, and part of the reason for it is because when students ask me questions about uh, Siddhartha and Siddhartha's lifetime, I get very excited. And I go into like the whole background of his birth and how his mother had a dream before he was born. And when I would explain what essentially made Siddhartha leave his comfortable palace and go down his path was the fact that he was trapped within it by his father. And when he first left, and within each consecutive time that he left his palace, he experienced people who were sick, people who were dying, these trials and tribulations that everyone experiences, and he would get very sad about it. And I I think I was like, no, I, you know, I also as a human being, I'll get sad when I think of the tragedy that other people experience in the world. Part of life is, how is it that we can still be happy within our own unique life while these difficult things are happening elsewhere too. And I think in that way, you kind of have to be Buddhist and detach yourself from the entire world while still being present in it and and living
0: in the present. So what I'm hearing, Emmy, is that you identify as a Muslim, but you hold within you spiritual concepts and values from Roman Catholicism, from Buddhism, and even in understanding an agnostic point of view. Is that a fair representation? Absolutely. Okay. Moving on. Let's talk about your practice. What is your current practice? And are you a part of a Muslim community?
1: So, my current practice is that when I wake up, I I'm just thankful that I wake up. I think my current practice isn't just speaking in you know full transparency. If I do pray, I'll just pray fajr. I I won't pray five times a day, and if I do, it's very rare. Um, it's usually on a holiday or during Ramadan or you know a very special you know, religious day. But despite that, I still believe that every time I donate money to a good cause, every time I smile at somebody and extend a form of gratitude or kindness, um, every time I'm thankful for having food and being able to live the life that I live and make the choices that I'm allowed to make, I believe that that's also part of my practice because... I think beyond just talking with God or praying, I think your daily life is your practice. I think what you do every moment that you live is, is how you embody what it is that you believe in. And to go into the second question, I am unfortunately not part of a masjid. I, I have not been for a long time. The last time I was affiliated with a mosque was when I lived in New York and I was teaching. And I could actually not attend services Fridays because I was teaching. I was doing my job. So as a result, if I had some time, I would find some time to pray or to um, listen to a chutbah, to a sermon. But I didn't always have the time to do it. And even today, you know, my Fridays, I'm still at work. I can't always take a moment. But then the the good thing is that during the summer, um, at least the last or one of the last summers I was in New York before COVID, I was able to attend the Islamic Center of NYU's service with Imam Khalid Latif. And I, I loved it. You know, I felt right at home being a part of that community. My first community was the ISBCC. In Boston, um, the Islamic Society of Boston Cultural Center. That's where I had converted and I had said the Shahada. I had met some friends there, but I think towards the end of my time at BU, I wasn't attending services there. I was attending services with BU's Islamic Society, so the, the student-run services, because it was what was most comfortable for my schedule, unfortunately. So in a way, because I I never really grew up in the Muslim community, you know, I've always moved around because uh, I've moved so much, I've never felt tied to one particular place. I've actually been pretty thankful for technology, especially during COVID and even after COVID for, you know, giving me access to to find a, a sermon just on Google or YouTube it or find a khutbah, but it, didn't, it doesn't even have to be that. Um, it doesn't have to be a Muslim speaking. It can be someone who's saying they're dropping some knowledge or executing some form of wisdom. And they can be a rabbi, they can be a priest, they can be someone who's affiliated with the nation of Islam, or uh, various groups that exist within the world. Um, but I think that's the interesting thing about technology. It can it gives you that exposure, and, and it kind of makes things comfortable for you in a way, even when life can seem uncomfortable.
0: Yep. And although I heard a bit of apologetics about the non-connection to a community. That is a fact of life. And I think it's always a question of what is the organizing principle of your scheduling? Something goes first and second and third, and yes, they shift around, but these are decisions that everybody makes. Do you take or not take a job because it allows or, or prevents you from attending services? you are far from alone in living that reality. And please understand, Emmy, that I have no judgment about it. I'm not looking for any particular answer, except the truth. What I'm interested in is not, oh, geez, you know, Are you praying five times a day? That's not at all part of this conversation or part of my approach to these conversations. The driving question for me is, is what you're doing working for you? Do you feel supported in the ways you need support in your life? So, do you?
1: I feel 100% supported in my daily life, I get that support from my wife, mainly from my family, um, my parents, her parents, our friends. Uh, I, I think that's where I get my support from.
0: Okay. I do think it's interesting that nowhere in that long list of sources of support was, I feel supported by Islam. I feel support in my Muslim practice in my Muslim identity. I feel support by reading the Quran or whatever other sources of reading there are. So that's interesting. Again, not a judgment, but I note the silence.
1: It's not to say that I don't feel support in those aspects either, but I don't think that's where the majority of support that I need comes from, or the majority of the support that's present to me comes from. I don't believe that I necessarily have to get all of my support or most of my support from my religion. I think the people who represent the religion, who embody it even without knowing that they embody it, exemplify that faith and that belief system better than any words could.
0: Okay, fair enough. Again, no right answer. All right, well, the time, as expected, has completely flown by. And we do need to wrap this up. Unfortunately, I do hope that we will have more conversations along these lines, Emmy. But just in closing, want to give you a moment to add anything that you think is really important and that we didn't get to.
1: No, I, I think we've said everything I've wanted to say.
0: All right, Emmy. Well, this has been just a delight. As always, to speak with you, to get to know you better, and to hear more about the very complex and interesting and long journey that you've been on, and that will surely continue.
1: Absolutely. It's been a pleasure speaking with you as well, as always, and saying more about my background and experience. This was a lot of fun for me.
0: Excellent. Okay, well, you have a good afternoon.
1: You as well. Goodbye.
0: Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get notified when new episodes are released, hit the subscribe button. Questions and comments are welcome and can be sent directly to info at talkingwithgodproject.org. A link is in the show notes. Transcripts are available a few weeks after airing. This podcast is an outgrowth of my Talking with God project. For more information about that research, including workshop and presentation options, go to my website, www.talkingwithgodproject.org. Thank you so much. Till next time.